next summer, uh, 2020, they are planning to have the Olympics in Tokyo. And it's an event that there are thousands of people currently preparing for. And it's an event that they're spending billions of dollars um, to showcase human talent. And all these people who are going to be participating have one thing on their mind, and it's a gold medal. And all of them have the, have the same goal set before them that they want to accomplish. They want to show off their talent and also their, their country's talent. On Saturday, I don't know how many of you are aware of this, but there was an Ethiopian man by the name of Eliud Kipchoge that ran the distance of a marathon, 26.2 miles, in just under two hours, one hour, 59 minutes, and 42 seconds, which means that he ran a mile at about four minutes and 35 seconds, just a little over 13 miles an hour, which for me would probably be a dead sprint, and I could probably do it for about 45 seconds before I would be gasping for oxygen, and he did it for almost two hours, which is amazing. First person in the history of, of mankind to run the distance of a marathon in under two hours. Now, he had some help. Um, it wasn't an actual marathon that he was running. It was the distance of a marathon. Um, and he had people who helped him. There was people who actually ran out in front of him to help him set his pace. So there's people who argue, well, it really isn't a record, which technically it's not a world record, but it's quite a human accomplishment for a person to be able to run that fast for that far and for that amount of time. But it took a lot of planning, and in his case, it took a lot of money for it to actually happen. He had, he had attempted to do it, if I remember correctly, either in 2017 or 2015 and failed. Um, that one was sponsored by Nike and he didn't quite make it. He ran it in just over two hours. I think it was, he missed it by 20 seconds or 25 seconds. It was really, really close. And this one was sponsored by another company from Great Britain. I'm not even sure what it was called. Um, I read how much they spent. It was phenomenal, the amount of money that they put into it. Um, because he said that it was possible, that he believed he could do it. And so this company said, we'll sponsor you to do it. And he went out and he did it because he believed that it was possible. Tonight I invite you to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 9, and I would like to look at some verses and draw some comparisons to an athlete and what we as Christians are attempting to do. The title of my sermon is, What Are You Striving For?, and I would like you to think about that question as we look at the text here in 1 Corinthians, chapter 9. I'd like to read verses 24 to 27, says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain, to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Here Paul is comparing our spiritual experience to a physical race, which was something that the Corinthian people would have been very, very familiar with. 
But he's talking about their ambition and their desire. And he says in verse 24, he says how everybody's running this race, but only one person receives the prize. And he says at the end, so run that you may obtain. In other words, have a desire to run well and to finish well. When you look at a race and you look at all the people who line up to run um, to run races, marathons, there's possibly thousands of people who run a single marathon. They're all running it together. But the, if they want to do anything um, spectacular, if they want to be successful, and if they want to be a person who's actually going to compete for the prize, they need to run with everything that they have. And they have to put themselves into it. They need to be driven by their de- desire to succeed. Olympians are driven by that inner desire to be the most accomplished person in whatever discipline they're part of. They're going to put everything into it. To them, winning isn't, isn't everything. It's the only thing. That's the only thing that they're thinking about. And they plan, they scheme, they troubleshoot, they think about all the things that could go wrong, and they try to address every single part of it. So that way, when they're actually in their competition, they can do the best that they possibly can. When we look at Scripture, Scripture often talks about us doing everything with all that we have. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9, verse 10, it says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. We look at that verse and we say, well, that's, that's an excellent way to look at life. We should apply ourselves with everything that we have to whatever we're doing. And we as, as teachers talk, with this, uh, talk about this with our students. And we talk about applying yourself to your work. People who are bosses tell their employees, you need to put yourself into it so you can be successful. When we look at this verse in Ecclesiastes, where it talks about how we're supposed, whatever our hand finds to do, we're supposed to do it with our might, there's a reminder at the end of that verse. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. In other words, the work that we're doing here, our physical labor, is something that we are called to to put ourselves into, but we're putting ourselves into something that's only temporary. And it's only something that we're experiencing right here. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, Jeremiah says this, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Jeremiah is telling us when we put an effort into seeking God and attempting to find Him, that we will find Him when we seek for Him with all of our being. Tonight in your Christian experience, if you're here tonight and you want to be successful, as a spiritual warrior, you're a person who who wants to be known as a Christian warrior, you're going to have to put yourself into your Christian experience. You're going to have to put every bit of effort that you have into it, and you're going to have to search for God and seek Him 
with everything that you have. You're not going to be able to say, I'm going to put half of, what, half of my energy or half of my effort into it. You're going to have to say, I'm going to give everything as I search for Christ. When you look at the accomplishments that people have done as athletes, you look at Eliud Kipchoge and what he has done in running, he didn't wake up one morning and say, it's a beautiful morning, I think I'm going to go out and I'm going to run. And I'm going to run fast and I'm going to run far. Now he's an Ethiopian, so he has some genetic um, advantages that we as Americans don't have. But I don't think that he went out there the first time that he ran and ran as fast as he did on Saturday when he ran faster than any other person has ever before in a marathon. It has taken a lot of training and a lot of effort and a lot of desire on his part. There are four points that I would like to look at as you think about what you are striving for. And as we look at an athlete and what they put into being a person who is successful physically, what can we learn from that as a Christian? The first thing I would like to look at is training. A person who wants to be successful physically, an athlete, has to put hours in in training. I read somewhere that the average Olympic athlete trains for approximately eight hours a day, seven days a week. For what? For something that they think is going to prove that they are successful. One man said that he trains approximately six to eight hours a day for a race that lasts 42 seconds. Six to eight hours a day for something that only lasts for less than, half a, for less than a minute. One athlete said this, Honestly, I always get sick after a competition. That's how much I put my body through. Unorthodox is the best way to describe our training and our sport. These are people who are committed to their training. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in verses 26 and 27, Paul is talking about running not with uncertainty, or as Paul describes it, one that beats the air, but he says, I'm bringing my body into subjection. And what is the way that a person, an athlete, how are they going to train their body to do something better, the only way that they can do it is through bringing their body into subjection. They have to subject themselves to things that stretch them and pull them and make them grow. As I look at this, and I think about what Paul is saying, and we're going to look at this in, in just a little bit in a different light, but as I look at this and I think about a person who is training, when a person wants to train in a certain discipline, one of the things that they do is they go out and they look for a person who has an understanding of that discipline. In other words, a person who wants to be the world's best sprinter looks for a person who understands what it takes to be a good sprinter, and they learn from them. They make them part of their training. In other words, they associate with those individuals. In our Christian experience, and I'm speaking from my own personal experience, one of the best things that it has helped me to grow spiritually is my association with other people who are successful spiritually. 
I align myself with those individuals so they can speak into my life and help me in my quote-unquote training, in my Christian experience. As I look at this example, and I think about what the, the, the input that other people have given to me, I think it's important for us to understand that in our training, we need to be linked up to other people. We need each other so we can succeed spiritually. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, Paul says this, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. Now, you can look at this verse and say, well, physical exercise doesn't profit a whole lot, so what's the benefit of it? And Paul is making a point. He's saying that bodily exercise profits some, but not a lot. A couple of years ago, I went to the dentist just down the street here in Myerstown, and this was shortly after we came back from Nicaragua. I think it was one of the first times that I went to the dentist after we came back. And I went for a cleaning and an exam, and he told me that I have a cavity in one of my teeth in the back of my mouth. Um, when I was born, I was blessed with extra teeth. And I'm not talking about my wisdom teeth. I actually have extra molars in the back of my mouth. And he said that one of them um, had some decay in it, and he wanted me to come back and get it, get it taken care of. All right, so in a couple, of, a couple of weeks after that, I went back in, and he started drilling into this tooth, and he said, this is a whole lot worse than what I was expecting. Um, this is an extra tooth. You can either pay to have a root canal, or I can pull it out. And I said last night that I perused um, Craigslist when I'm looking for vehicles, so when I'm looking for teeth fixing up, I asked him, what's the price tag? Which one's going to be cheaper? And he said, well, it's going to be cheaper for us to pull it out than to do a root canal, and on top of that, this is one of your extra teeth, so it's not going to really matter if we take it out. Um, so I said, all right, fine, let's pull that thing. So uh, they went in there, and they numbed my mouth all up, and they waited a while, and they came in, and they started trying to pull this tooth. Well, it was a molar in the back of my mouth, and apparently, even though I don't have good external teeth, the teeth that, part of the tooth that you can't see is really, really good, because the roots went way up into my jaw, and he got up in there, and he started prying on this thing, and pulling and yanking, and it was not coming out. And finally he said, I'm going to have to cut this tooth into four pieces, so that way we can pull it out root by root, and uh, that means I'm going to have to give you some more Novocaine. So, gave me some more Novocaine, and I sat on the chair. I think I'd been on the chair for like an hour and close to a half at that point. And apparently, one of the nurses... Um, noticed that I wasn't doing very well because she took my blood pressure. And she said, did you know that you have high blood pressure? <laughs> I was thinking, um, I think I know the reason why I have high blood pressure. I've been sitting here, you've been pulling on this tooth, that's why I have high blood pressure. Um, long story short, they managed to get the tooth out, and I still have a little bit of an indentation right where that, that tooth used to be, but it's a whole lot better than it used to be. But I remembered what she told me, she said, I think you have high blood pressure. And so I went home and I bought my, went onto Amazon and bought myself one of those cuffs to read your blood pressure. And I checked it when I got it. And sure enough, I had high blood pressure, um, which is a gift from my parents. So uh, 
I knew I had a couple of options. Either I could keep watching my, my blood pressure. It was like just so high. It wasn't like real high where you have to take medication, but it was right borderline to where you need to, to do something about it. So I knew I could either take medication or I could change a few things in my life and help my high blood pressure. And I don't enjoy taking extra medication, so I decided I'm going to try to do some things to help get my blood pressure down. So I tried to cut back on coffee, which worked for a little while, um, at least the first month. And I also started trying to exercise, which has been a journey in itself. Um, but the method that I chose was running, because I figured, hey, how hard can it be? Um, you can go running. So uh, I started running, and I learned a few things about running. Uh, once I started, um, it's not as easy as it looks, and it takes a whole lot more discipline than what I thought. But I did manage to get my high blood pressure down to a manageable level. So I accomplished what my goal was when I set out. So I profited from it. Um, besides maybe my wife and family, uh, I don't know that any of you here tonight have really profited from me lowering my blood pressure. So my exercise might not have profited a whole lot more people. But Paul says something else here. He says, godliness is profitable unto all things. Having promise of the life that's right now and the one that is to come. Not just right here, but the one that's, that is yet to come. The one that is eternal. The one that can't be taken from us. So when you and I exercise spiritually, when we train spiritually, we benefit from it and other people can as well. In other words, my life can touch others and it can be a blessing to them in their lives. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, I'm not going to take the time to flip there and read all the verses, um, but in the verses that follow the one that I read, Paul goes on and he talks about us being an example of the believers in our everyday lives. And he calls us to meditate in God's Word and to continue in it. In other words, we are called to persevere. Part of our training is perseverance. Um, I discovered quickly from exercising just a little bit that muscles that are not used, that suddenly are used, tend to hurt, and a lot. But you don't just stop because it's hurting. Even though it's hurting, you need to keep pushing on. And that leads me to my second point, dedication. When a person decides that they're going to do something, and they're going to do it well, they need to be dedicated to the goal that they set. They need to be dedicated to whatever their choice is. Now, there are some people who by nature have certain advantages. One Olympian that had an advantage was Ian Thorpe. He was a swimmer from Australia who had really big hands and really big feet. And his toes were actually webbed. So when he swam... Because the water wasn't going through his toes, he could actually push himself just a little bit faster than the other people. He had just a little bit of a natural advantage. But if he would have woken up every day and said, you know what, I've got all of these natural abilities, I've got all of these advantages that other people have, I don't have to go out and train like everybody else. If he would have said that, he wouldn't have been dedicated to what he was trying to accomplish. I can guarantee you he would have never set the world records that he did. He may have had advantages, 
but he still needed to be dedicated to the cause. I talked last night just a little bit about Julio, and there was a conversation that I remember having with Julio um, around the same time when he accepted Christ, and it was centered around the idea of um, me growing up in a Christian home. And he was talking with me a little bit about the struggles that he was having in his um, spiritual life. And he said, you know, for you it's a lot different because you grew up in a Christian home. You have Christian parents. You have a Christian family. They support you. They help you. Um, That's kind of an advantage for you. And I simply shared with him, I said, Julio, I may have grown up in a Christian home. I may have had people surrounding me who encouraged me and challenged me but I still had to, to purpose within myself that I was going to follow Jesus Christ. I had to be dedicated to the choice that I made to follow Jesus Christ. You and I may have an advantage of growing up in Christian families, being surrounded by great Christian people, but you and I still at times face struggles. And there are things in our lives that we face that are difficult and they're pretty tough. In the book of John, chapter 16, verses 32 and 33, Jesus is talking to his disciples and this is what he says. Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In the world in which we live, this physical world that we find ourselves in, we're going to face difficulties, we're going to face temptations, we're going to face hardships, we're going to have struggles. But just like an athlete, when they're facing difficulties and hardships, they need a purpose in their heart that this is what I really want to do. And even though it might be hard right now, I'm going to stay dedicated because I want to accomplish what I have set out to accomplish. You and I as Christians are going to have times in our lives where we're going to say, is it really worth it? Is it really worth the fight that I've entered into? And in those moments, we have the promise that Jesus gave to his disciples. He told them clearly, be of good cheer. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have hardship. Your dedication is going to be tested. But he says, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. I've already fought all of those battles. I have fought those battles. I have fought the discouragement, the uncertainty. And I'm going to tell you this. Because I have overcome, you can overcome as well. Am I dedicated enough in my spiritual walk to continue on even when it gets difficult? Do I have purpose? Do I have dedication? Going back to Julio, when we lived in, in Nicaragua, one of the things that we would often do with the, with the guys is we would go out and we would chop weeds with machetes. And one day Julio came to me and told me that he was going to measure his, his land and he needed all of his land completely chopped flat. It was about a third of an acre, 
And the weeds were, a lot of them were taller than I was. And I remember the first day we went out there and we ran those machetes with gusto. We were excited about our work. You know, we were macheting away. We were looking around. We were getting a lot done. The second day, a little less enthusiasm, but we really went at it. And I remember the third day I woke up and I was like, we have to go out and we have to chop Julio's field. The last thing that I felt like doing was going out and running a machete. I actually didn't help finish the field. Um, I wasn't around when they actually finished it, but I helped out with as much as I could. And when I look back on that experience, it took a lot of dedication to stay at the task. A lot of dedication. Because it wasn't fun, and it was hot, and it just didn't look like we were getting a lot accomplished. In our Christian lives, sometimes we can stop and we look around and we say, what, what am I accomplishing? Like, really, where am I going? What am I doing? In those moments when our dedication is tested, we need to rely on the power that is given to us. And we need to continue forward. The third thing that I see in the lives of athletes is sacrifice. They sacrifice a lot of time and effort in their training. When you look back on the Old Testament and you think about the sacrifices that they had, the physical sacrifices, one of the requirements that God asked for was a perfect, spotless lamb. God's requirement was is that it would be perfect. Sometimes we can look at that and we say, well, what was the point of it being, being perfect? Why couldn't have God been happy with you know, the lame lamb or the smallest lamb? Why, why did it have to be a perfect lamb. When you look at their, their lives and how they lived as shepherds, how do you think that shepherd felt when he knew that he was going to make a sacrifice and he had to pick the perfect lamb? How do you think that shepherd felt? As he looked out over his flock and he said, which of you is the best one that I have? Which one of you is perfect? Do you think it pulled at him at all when he looked over his flock and he realized that he was being asked to give the most perfect lamb that he had? When I look at that and I think of that example, I often recoil at the idea of sacrifice. When I'm asked to sacrifice something, whether it's my time or my, my money, whatever it is, sometimes there's, just, there's a little bit of a pull. Do I really want to give this up? When you and I are willing to give up what we want to grow in our Christian experience, it's part of sacrifice. Galatians 5.26 is this, Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. When we look at the sacrifice that athletes make, they're doing it for something that's full of vain glory. They're looking at it in terms of, of themselves. They're not looking at it in terms of bringing glory to anybody but their own name. You and I aren't seeking glory for ourselves. We are seeking glory for something and someone who is much greater than this physical life 
in which we live. Verse 25 in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says, Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. It's no secret that a person who wants to excel athletically is going to seek to master himself and he's going to be temperate in all things. In other words, when it comes to this idea of sacrifice, he's going to make sacrifices for himself because he understands what it's doing for him as he strives to master his own desires. They're going to guard what goes into themselves. They're going to guard the the food that they eat. They're going to make sure that everything that they're putting into themselves is something that is going to have a positive outcome on the goal that they have set. You and I as Christians, as believers, are called to strive for the mastery, to be temperate in all things. As a Christian, am I being careful about what I'm putting into myself? Am I careful about the diet that I'm feeding myself? Am I being careful about what I am allowing to influence my life? Because all of those choices that I make are going to have a direct result and a direct effect on the goal that I have set for myself. Paul here is calling us to be temperate in all things. In other words, to guard ourselves. To make sure that we watch what we are allowing to come into our lives so that nothing masters us or takes control of us. Because we have set a goal. In the book of Jude, verses 17 to 21, it says this, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Just like an athlete doesn't allow himself to be fed all kinds of things that are are going to affect his body in a negative way. You and I as Christians are called to seek out those things that are going to have a positive influence on our lives. We're going to have a filter on our lives and we're not going to allow anything into us that's going to be a detriment to us spiritually. When the world looks at us and they look at how we live our lives and how we are striving for this mastery... To them, it doesn't make a lot of sense. To them, they ask the question, why would you do that to yourself? Why would you seek to master yourself in such a way? Why wouldn't you just give yourself over to the desires that you have? You and I understand the sacrifice that we are making. We are making a sacrifice here in this world because we have a goal that is set in something that supersedes anything that's in this world right now. We have our eyes set on eternal life. That leads me to my last point. As we think about an athlete, 
They're willing to make sacrifices because of the goals that they have. Verse 26, Paul says, I run not as uncertainly. I have a purpose. I have a goal when I run. I have plotted, I have planned, and I'm going to get where I want to go. An athlete does this for something that Paul points out very clearly in verse 25. An athlete is doing this to obtain a corruptible crown. They're doing it for something that's physical, something that's temporary, simply because they're trying to produce a name for themselves. As you look at that, and you think about the medals that they give to an Olympic athlete, my question for you is, in 2020, after the Olympics are all over, all the medals have been handed out, in 100 years from now, in 2120, how many of those athletes do you think are actually going to be remembered by anybody who's part of the Olympic Games? Maybe if somebody sets an astounding world record that stands for 100 years, maybe they'll remember them. Possibly. But all of those people are striving for something physical, just a physical prize that in 100 years, probably nobody's even going to remember. And there's a lot of people right now who are training for that event that I can guarantee you nobody's going to remember. Because nobody remembers the fourth, the fifth, or the sixth place finishers. Nobody does. But there are thousands of people right now who are training, and when it's all over, that's going to be their reward. Mount Everest in Nepal is considered the tallest mountain in the world. It stands approximately 29,029 feet above sea level. According to Wikipedia, there's approximately 2,700 people who have been successful in reaching the summit. There have been 210 people who attempted to reach the summit who never returned because Mount Everest is extremely dangerous. So what compels people to climb Mount Everest? Why do people want to climb Mount Everest? Close to Mount Everest is the second tallest mountain in the world. It's called K2. And it's only about uh, approximately 784 feet shorter than Mount Everest, which isn't a whole lot. According to my research, there's been approximately, I think, 380 people who have attempted to climb K2. So there have been thousands of people who have attempted to climb Mount Everest. Less than 400 people have attempted to climb K2. Now, it's an extremely dangerous mountain, even more so than, than Mount Everest, according to my research. But why, doesn't, why isn't there a lot of people who want to climb K2? Because how does that sound if you talk to somebody and you say, yeah, I just got done climbing the second highest mountain in the world last week. How does that sound in comparison to if you're talking to somebody and you tell them, I just got done climbing Mount Everest last week. Sounds a whole lot more impressive, right? You just got done climbing the highest mountain in the world. When you pick up a pool ball... How smooth is it? A pool ball is really, really smooth, right? 
they allow approximately, if I understand correctly, a 0.2% deviation in the surface of a pool ball for it to be considered in perfect condition. 0.2%. The Earth is a complete ball, and Mount Everest sticks out of a, a small portion of the Earth at 29,000 feet. In comparison to the rest of the world and the size of its circumference, it is 0.14% of a deviation from being perfectly smooth. So in other words, if the Earth was a pool ball, it would pass the inspection for being in perfect condition. It's considered perfectly smooth. But yet there are thousands of people who are willing to, are, are willing to risk their lives for the glory and honor of climbing the highest mountain in the world. When God looks down from heaven and he sees people bragging about their accomplishment, how do you think he feels about it? How do you think he views it? How do you think God views the person who runs the fastest 100 meters at the Olympics? How do you think God feels when he sees a team celebrating the fact that they were able to throw a football farther and take it to a place faster than anybody else and score more points than anybody else. How do you think it looks to God? When you look at those accomplishments, we as humans can look at that and we say, that's a, that's a terrific accomplishment. You know, that person really did something that's a true feat. They set goals and they got where they wanted to go. But for what? All for a temporal crown for something that's corruptible. You and I are called to fight for something that is much greater. Paul says in verse 27, I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. In other words, I discipline myself. I put to death anything that would take me away from the goal that I have of obtaining eternal life through Jesus Christ. I'm not fighting for something that's temporal. I'm not fighting for something that anybody can take away from me. I'm not fighting for something that in a hundred years somebody is going to do better than what I have. He says clearly in the first verse that I read that everybody who runs a race here in this world, everybody runs but only one person gets the gold medal. Only one person is the winner. But you and I, as believers, are running a race where every person who runs it faithfully, who is dedicated to that run, receives a prize that no one can take away from us. Nobody can take away the crown that is awaiting you and I, our incorruptible crown that awaits us in eternity. Tonight I ask you the question, what are you striving for in your life? Are you striving to live a life that is pleasing to Jesus Christ? Are you striving to live a life where you are focused on that eternal crown, the crown that awaits you, 
the crown that is out there that no one can take from you? Have you set the goal that you are going to reach the end and receive that crown and nothing is going to distract you? Is that your goal? In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16, Isaiah says this, Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well. In the book of James, chapter 1, verse 27, James says this, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their afflictions, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. You and I tonight as Christians are running a race. My question for you tonight, as you're sitting here, what's your plan? What's your goal? Are you training yourself so you can run better, so you can be more dedicated to the race that you're in? Are you dedicated? Are you willing to make the sacrifices that are necessary so you can prosper spiritually? And lastly, what's the goal that you have in your life? If you're here tonight and you're running a race without purpose, If you're running a race where you haven't said, this is my goal, and I'm going to get there no matter what. If you're running that kind of race, you're not going to be successful. If you and I want to be successful in the race that God has called us to, our calling is to set ourselves apart, keep ourselves unspotted, untainted from the world, by being temperate in all things, bringing our body into subjection, so we can run a race where we will receive a crown that is incorruptible, one that is eternal, and that no one can take from us. If you're here tonight, and you're sitting there thinking about this question, what am I striving for? If you're here tonight, and you've been striving for things that are part of this physical world. Things that, in a hundred years from now, are not going to be important. If you're here tonight and you're running that kind of a race, I want to give you an opportunity to make a statement where you say, I am changing my goal. I am not going to run after something that's corruptible. I want to run after something that is eternal. And that has true value. And maybe you're here tonight and you, you aren't running the race that you know you should be running. I want to give you that opportunity tonight to choose to run a race that is the most important race that you can be part of. And you can join the thousands, the millions of other people who right now today are running that race. And you can be part of what it feels like to live a successful Christian life. If you're here tonight and you would like to make that statement, I invite you to come forward as we sing a song of invitation. 
to make a public declaration that I want to be a person who has purpose in my heart, that I want to run a race that is real, that's genuine, and that is purpose. I don't want to be part of a race that isn't going to get me to that end. So let's sing one verse of song. And if you're here tonight and you feel the Spirit calling you to join in this race, I just invite you to come forward and someone can meet with you and you can become part of the race that we're running.